0: Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Monday, May 9th, 2022. I'm John Putthor. the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor, Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior writer, Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine.
1: Hi, John.
0: And associate editor, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. So the abortion decision continues to royal uh, America, and there is so much contradictory information around that it is very hard to understand what's going on. Um on Friday, we got word of a CNN poll that showed that the decision was having very little effect on the national discussion that in fact, uh, Republicans were gaining in the so-called generic ballot, which is what when you ask people if they want to vote for a Democrat or a Republican in November, uh, up to 4942, that's up six points since the ruling. Uh, or since not the ruling, but the the leak of the <clears throat> Alito draft decision um, <clears throat> it's a seven point spread that's the largest spread in polls in the generic ballot and this is what we would expect to see if the tsunami is coming that uh, over over the months between now and, and November that number grows into the you know double digits, and that's when you really know that uh, Democrats are going to get slammed. But also in the CNN poll, among Democrats, 43% now say they are extremely or very enthusiastic. That's up seven points. But among Republicans, that number, extremely enthusiastic vote is 56% up nine points. And voters who say overturning Roe would make them happy are nearly twice as enthusiastic about voting this fall as those who say such a ruling would leave them angry. 38% extremely enthusiastic among those happy, 20% among those angry. Now, Noah, you then, that's CNN. So Noah, you then report, uh, a YouGov voter panel. YouGov has a different, uh, methodology where they, they ask the same 3,000 people, I think, in a rolling panel thing, uh, their opinions of things. And you, and UGov shows almost exactly the opposite, right?
2: I well, yeah, and I don't even I don't know if that's the methodology. The surveys of fifteen hundred and seventy seven adults conducted between May 3rd and May 6th. OK, so I, I so pretty that's pretty not the YouGov
0: panel. Sorry, yeah, it's not right. a panel.
2: It's a pretty standard poll, but that shows um, and this is one of the last refuges for Democrats who don't who expect, you know, some who want some reprieve from what looks like is going to materialize in November. Their generic ballot shows a, a Democratic gain, 44 percent to 39 percent, a five point in uh, Democratic advantage. And YouGov has, has shown that advantage pretty consistently, contrary to just about every other poll. So take it with a grain of salt. Nevertheless, they tested the following. When voters were asked to choose between a pro-choice Democrat and a pro-life Republican, GOP support fell to 31% while Democratic support held steady, more than doubling the gap between the two candidates to a 13-point Democratic advantage. Um, hands up if you believe that one. Anybody? Is well, anybody going to be voting on this issue? Is every who's turning out to the polls to register their dissatisfaction with this decision, if it materializes in the form that it took in, in Alito's in Alito's uh, decision?
3: Well, and can we add to that this week? We're going to see a lot of Democratic uh, posturing uh, about abortion. It's starting with Chuck Schumer introducing a bill that everybody knows he can't pass. That's rather extreme, far more extreme in, in compared to what we do know historically uh, from from polling data that uh, that Americans are comfortable with regard to abortion. It also will force Catholic hospitals to perform abortions. This is one of those things. This is why Susan Collins and others are like, yeah, that's that's not going to work for us. They're there, there's an effort now to do this kind of performative uh, we're going to mm. save Roe posturing, but everybody knows it's hollow. Everybody knows it's posturing. I, I feel like that's just going to lead to greater cynicism on the part of people who who might have been motivated in the last you know, four or five days to, to think that abortion is something they should vote on. That's on
2: exactly way. right. And there's evidence for that supposition, Christine, in this very poll. The new survey, this YouGov survey, uh, measures a sizable jump in dissatisfaction among Democrats. Uh, eight more, eight percent more Democrats than the last survey last month said that things in this country are on the wrong track. Um, now, that can have some measurable effect of animating voters who would otherwise be disaffected to turn out. But you're, the conventional wisdom is if you're that dissatisfied with the party in power with which you identify with, you're not going to be motivated to turn out to the polls to ratify their record in office.
0: Well, uh, Abe, Sarah Jones, who is a a sort of a liberal to radical journalist who now writes for New York Magazine, but was at the New Republic before that and stuff. Jen Psaki put out a tweet uh, distancing the Biden White House from the protests outside the uh, justices' homes this weekend in suburban uh, Washington I guess in Chevy Chase, uh, Kavanaugh and Roberts uh, with some talk of more to come with Alito's house, talk that Alito has actually been moved to a safe location. Who knows if that's true? You can't trust any of this stuff. But uh, after 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 Saki refused last week to say that, um, you know, uh, efforts to intimidate the justices were bad because there's a lot of passion here. Uh, the tweet came out that said, "You know, this isn't the way to do things," or something. I don't have the direct language. And and Sarah Jones again, New York Magazine, not a not a bastion, not a famous bastion of sort of, um, I don't know, extreme leftism. Basically, said, uh, "Is it any wonder that no one in this, you know, no one, no one is excited about voting for this party? Meaning the Democrats." This follows the things we talked about last week. Aída Chávez of of um the nation the washington correspondent of the nation saying good that the justices might be you know frightened for their lives and the lives of their families uh and a couple of other such things so i think a what we have here is uh um the uh, the passion is is this a very free uh, uh, free free-floating um Freeform thing where the passion is both directed at the evil of what the Supreme court is supposedly about to do. And at the, um, uh, at what they deem, what they look at and see as weak, go along to get along corrupt behavior on the part of the, of establishment Democrats, which I think validates Noah's point, which is if that's the narrative narrative is, They're switching it, and we're just too pusillanimous to do anything about it. And we're not, you know, like essentially, uh, you know, advocating the, you know, implicitly, you know, maybe shooting some bullets into Alito's house or something like that, that, you know, if if they're not willing to do that, then we're just going to stay home, because what's the point? Tyranny has come to America anyway.
1: Yeah, I think that could be the case. Um, I mean, I think also what's interesting about it here is that, Gensaki's tweet indicates that the administration is now thinking, "Hmm, maybe we were playing with fire a little bit." Um uh you know they're they're very finger in the wind about all this stuff. So the second everyone's fired up, they're right there with them. The second it looks a little rough and reckless, they're 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 going to pull back. Um I wonder in terms of the 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 voting public and Democrats Democratic citizens generally Democratic voting citizens to what extent the the actual understanding of what this ruling would would mean to what extent they they grasp that. In other words, the the message that um, the far left Democrats want America to get on this is that they want to sort of blur the lines between what's actually going to happen here, um, which would be that some states would. Would outlaw abortion and the others were b- b- sort of collapse that with the idea that this is the end of abortion in America. And I don't know to what extent American liberals believe that this is actually the end of legal abortion countrywide. I mean, I, I think
0: it's probably pretty easy to convince a lot of people who are not who are who are low lowish information that that is the that is the net effect of the ruling. Uh, that is to say, you can say anything like you can say, and this is part of how the narrative is being, is, is, is being laid out that this is, as you said last week, the camel's nose under the tent, cause it's not just this, it'll also be gay marriage. It'll also be contraception, you know, like, like there is any movement outside radical Catholic circles, as far as a radical Lefebvreist, you know, cap, you know, to ban contraception. I mean, you know, bringing that up because people think that the Griswold v. Connecticut decision was wrongly decided, which it was. Does doesn't does not in itself mean that there is any political national prevailing consensus against contraception? But 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 laying out not even consensus, like it's like a wackadoodles near psychotic idea. But laying all this out is a is is a way of getting people scared. Right, and so the low, the less information you have, the more likely you are to be scared by this. But here, I think, is the central problem, which is that when when push comes to shove, the places where abortion is going to be restricted, the places where uh, where this is uh, li- likelier to happen, except in some places like Michigan, let's say, are politically in more in line with pro life causes than they are with pro choice causes. I mean, you know, Mississippi is the, Mississippi is the origin of this lawsuit that will be the overturning of Roe if it, if it is, if it is carried through, right? Um, the Dobbs, the Dobbs case, Mississippi legislature passed it, a governor signed it. Mississippians, I think, are far more likely to be pro-life than pro-choice. They agreed to this restriction on their own freedom or whatever you might want to call it, somebody in Manhattan is not affected by what happens in Mississippi. So on the one hand, you have a, you have this idea that we're moving into the handmaid's tale. But if, if uh, Mississippi, if women in Mississippi voted for the handmaid's tale, I'm not quite sure what Um, where that leads the rest of us but
3: this is where their narrative starts to really stumble on some thorny contradictions right so there's there's this idea that that um and and to the point about the sake tweet i actually think it was quite Uh, calculated to let the narrative run for like 48 hours that, oh, all your rights are going to be torn away. And it wasn't just contraception. The New York Times over the weekend claimed that interracial marriage is going to be taken away. Um, That is insane in a country. I think it's something like 94, 96% of the country supports interracial marriage. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, But they are saying that to gin up all this kind of crazed uh, anger and and fear. So I think the Biden administration loves to do this. They've done it with so many things. They did it with the Justice Small. stuff. like anytime there's a big controversy, they're going to go to the woke right side of it and let everyone kind of go crazy and then as abe says as soon as people start actually talking about doing crazy things like say fire potentially firebombing a uh uh, pro-life organization in Wisconsin, I believe it was, that that they're investigating it now, but there was seemingly an attack on a, on a pro-life organization there over the weekend. Then it's like, oh, maybe we've gone too far. But the thing that they are hammering home now is that the court is an undemocratic institution and that democracy is going to be undermined if we return a right Back to the states that they always had before a 1973 court took those rights away. And that's the weird thing that people are going to start getting tripped up on. It's like, how is democracy stripped if we return rights to the states to decide for their people? Those people are local. They're closer to our needs. They're closer to what we uh, want. Um, that's the part that is, I feel, pretty contradictory in, the, in calling it fascism for one branch of our government to do its job. I don't think most moderates on either side of the aisle find that compelling.
0: I mean, I, I think this is where this is where this conversation—the disingenuousness of the of the of the liberal or leftist critique—starts getting kind of startling. Because you know, I tend to think that people do get you know very upset and they get very worried and they say, "Look, if they can do this, they can do anything." Loving versus Virginia, which was the Supreme Court case that forever enshrined a right to interracial marriage, was found as a nine nine nothing decision and it was found properly, that laws against miscegenation violate the 14th Amendment, Uh, period. Roe v. Wade, as we keep saying, found no amendment that was violated by restrictions or a banning of abortion. You can't just overturn interracial marriage when there is a hard analysis that says with a 90 decision that you know that uh you know equal process you know due due process and um and and equal protection require the states to be silent or on uh, you know whatever as to as to the rights of individuals to marry uh you know out, outside of their race that's uh, by the way the the other decisions that are supposedly now targeted like Obergefell the the uh, the um, Gay marriage decision also use the 14th amendment. Like that's a, that's actually, that raises the bar. Like to say the reason that Roe is such a constitutional horror show is that, is that it did not, as Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, it did not make a 14th amendment case. It did not make a case based on a specific constitutional right. It said that the right to abortion arose from penumbras and emanations of, from the document. So that that uh, you know that the most prestigious news outlet in the United States uh, could say that interracial marriage is on the chopping block is just it's just disinf- I hate to use the word because it's like disinformation. It isn't on the chopping block. It's
1: it's in a different silo entirely. But the it's important to remember that the causes that get Americans, the most animated in these past few years are fictions. Essentially. Um, The idea that American cops go around hunting down uh, uh, black people to shoot and kill. That's completely betrayed by, by the data. It's not true. The idea that our elections are fixed on either side. um, Systematically, that's not true. So I mean, it doesn't say anything good about the state of the country that this is so, but the fact that that they're creating this sort of political science fiction around this this forthcoming decision may not have the kind of impact on people getting worked up over it that 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 we'd like to see. It it, it may simply work. I just think
0: it's interesting when you think about it that. Uh, they want to default to this. This is just the beginning. Why is it necessary even to go to that argument? If abortion, if if, if abortion on demand is such a necessary adjunct to the to to uh, women's freedom and to freedom in general, you don't need to make this argument. It's part of the discomfort that people have with actually defending outright the right to ab- and not saying look yes we're all for but i mean look there's a lot more going on here than just this this is where the right is coming to to essentially erase all of the social and uh, you know all the social changes that were wrought from the 1960s onward they're just going to get rid of them and so name everyone you could think of they're going to get rid of them
2: this is the argument that i tried to make in the podcast with adam uh, about how this was the decision was so terribly decided that it puts all these other you rights mean, that, that, that originate from the 14th, all the freedoms that uh, are derived from equal protection clause in the 14th amendment, puts them all up for grabs. When actually decoupling the decision from 14 actually doesn't do that. Actually it makes these rights. Firmer and more secure, and also I try to
0: make this wait. I, I've lo- i lost your thread. Can you go back? Because I, I don't yeah, really understand decouple the
2: decision from it. has this, it has this it's rooted which in which decision in the equal protection clause, Roe and Casey, um, that they're rooted in equal protection, as well as a, a lot of the rights in the Bill of Rights. Um, that if you decouple it from the 14th Amendment, that it actually makes those rights firmer because a um, you don't have this this wild over interpretation of the uh, protections in the 14th Amendment that actually makes the protections that do exist firmer B. the court doesn't fish for cases like this there's if there's a challenge that is that is is valid enough that it takes it up to say Griswold or Loving, then it would take up Griswold and Loving individually not not all these other cases and certainly it's it seems unlikely but I don't think you can actually say that it's impossible that there will be efforts to challenge these um these precedents especially now that we see the precedents are up for grabs but that doesn't mean the court's going to go fishing for them or that they're they're going to rise to the level of the supreme they court they need a
3: case somebody exactly. has to file a case and
2: the idea that it gets to the, supreme, and the court. supreme
0: court and the supreme court has to agree to hear it number one so this is that it point, has yeah
2: this is ultimately the point that i'm trying to make is the arguments on the other side the the pro-rose side have atrophied to the point that they can't actually discuss the the actual decision they discuss um, the policies that arise from it, derive from it, and then they want to discuss all these other rights. They don't really understand how to talk about Roe as, as a case, as, as a legal precedent, as a valuable legal precedent that's on you know firm ground um, in the way that its opponents do because they've been making these arguments and have had to sharpen their arguments over the course of the last 50 years. They're much more capable of making a compelling case against it as a judicial precedent.
0: Okay, well, so, they- to some, so to summarize what you're saying, you're saying... Uh, conservatives grew up as sophisticated legal thinkers I would say to the extent that we now have liberal jurisprudence and conservative jurisprudence which really was not the case before I don't know the second world war like there was this idea didn't really exist but to the extent people conservative jurisprudence a lot of it arose from Roe a lot of it arose from from the actually from the sort of rise of privacy as a as a you know integral civil right something that does not exist in the constitution and and there's been half a century of conservatives training themselves on the on the meaning of the constitution like getting into it like Talmudic scholars understanding it from the inside out word by word clause by clause phrase by phrase all of that and as Noah, as you say, like liberals are focused on outcomes they're not focused on how you harmonize Supreme Court decisions with the American tradition, with the Constitution, with all of that, all of which are necessary as a limiting principle to the court's power since the court respond the court answers to no one, the court's rulings are final. If we don't have limiting principles on the court, the court could become a kind of autarchy you know it could basically throw out laws it doesn't like bring in laws that you know announce that we're henceforth going to wear underwear on the outside and so conservatives for 50 years have had the whip hand because they have attached themselves to a limiting principle liberals don't have the limiting principle therefore what they like are the outcomes when they then have to defend not just the outcomes, but the logic that led to the outcomes that, yeah, their ability to do that has atrophied or maybe it's, maybe it hasn't atrophied. Maybe there really isn't much of a way to do that in the case of Roe. You just can't, it's a terrible decision, you know, you know, you know, sort of with, with no roots, you know, just sort of like sprung springing out of sand. So you have to say it's abortion that matters. It's abortion that matters. It's abortion that matters. The ruling is necessary because it's old, because it's been around for a long time. People expect that this is the way things are going to go, and it's not fair to take it away. But that has nothing to do... Which yeah. was
3: the argument for legal segregation. I just want to add like 50 yeah. years really is not that long a period of time. And I mean, I just want to interrupt to say the other problem that that I think that liberals have become complacent about um, questioning in an honest way is that rights um, come with responsibilities. They want to talk about rights. They want to talk about liberation. They want to talk about all these things that challenge fundamental, not just fundamental conceptions people have of their self, but fundamental conceptions many Americans have about their responsibilities and duties to others, including most specifically their own families and their own communities. The liberals have, the left has kind of lost that language in this progressive onslaught of rights, 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 rights. But I think most Americans, again, this gets to the kind of common sense kitchen wisdom test. A lot of Americans look at how far the rights talk has gone on the left, and they are concerned. They think it's going too far in a number of arenas and not just abortion. And again, I'll repeat what I said last week on the podcast. We already in this country have a far more uh, liberal regime with regard to abortion. Abortion than just about every other developed nation, certainly in in Europe, which has far more restrictive uh, uh, laws about when pregnancy can be terminated?
0: Um, I think that the the real question goes to where the activists go. And I want to talk about that. But before I do, let's talk about David Bonson's book, There's No Free Lunch 250 Economic Truths, um, which is a book about economics and it's a book about economic ideas and it's a book that uh, fleshes them out 250 of them on a sort of in a daily primer style giving you incredibly pithy descriptions of economic theories and ideas, ballasted by great quotes and, um, and uh, from uh, philosophers, economists, politicians, thinkers, of all stripes, but um, it's, it's not just that and it it is really a, it is really um, a kind of mosaic about what ordered liberty is and how human flourishing works and it dovetails very much into a conversation like this because limiting principles are throughout david's it's the the idea that you know uh we are we are the rights that we have uh, are or are not ordained by us but ordained by the almighty and we have responsibilities it, those rights confer on us responsibilities as christine said uh that uh, that followed through both on the right side and the responsibility side lead to the kind of human flourishing that we all want to see. So that's David Bonson's There's No Free Lunch, 250 Economic Truths, B-A-H-N-S-E-N. You can get it at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, wherever you get fine books. And now it's also time to talk about our friends at Bambi, because when running a business, HR issues can kill you. Wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, and those HR manager salaries aren't cheap. An average of $70,000 a year, Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for small business to provide you with a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance, all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. From onboarding to terminations, they customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day-to-day, all for just $99 a month, Month month-to-month, no hidden fees, cancel anytime you didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time in HR compliance, let Bambi help get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash commentary right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash commentary spelled BAM to the B-E-E dot com slash commentary. So I said I wanted to go back to where the activists are going to be here. And um, aside from the obvious, which is the demonstrations outside people's homes uh and uh and the kind of language that is being thrown around there you know which often involves you know barely veiled threats of violence and all of that and then this uh the uh that's that's just on on that side you know Noah's Noah's great concern for the right has been that they will either overplay their hand they'll say something stupid they'll 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 think that you know they'll 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 give they'll give um you know they'll give voters a very bad impression of uh, of of what this uh, new regime should it come to pass will will look like and i'm back to being a little more skeptical of that i mean i was sort of moving in that direction and then i was listening to the protesters over the weekend and the kind of rhetoric uh, they use <coughs> as as things get more and more heated and uh, apparently, at a at a at a Catholic church somewhere in New York, where there was a protest, for example, one protester said, "God killed his baby. Why can't I kill mine?" Now, so slogan always has a problem of being, you know, uh, uh, you know, so so consumed with the idea of reaching some kind of gotcha vulgarity. <laughs> That is memorable uh, that, you know, can somehow be irresponsible, but uh, that is not entirely so beyond the bounds of the argument that, um, you know, uh, abortion uh, is the thing that I need for radical self-care, for example, which is something that somebody said in the Washington Post that, um, that, that the abortion that I had uh, was, a, was, was a form of self-care. Um and I just think that talk like this, when everybody everybody who has ever had a child understands that the thing, the cre- whatever it is that is in a woman's, you know, that is in, in a woman's uterus, left unchecked and left and, and also left unchecked by 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 God or by nature terminating the pregnancy naturally through miscarriage. That whatever is there that is removed would, under other circumstances, grow into a baby. And this is the moral problem that abortion on demand, abortion rights people, this kind of weird solipsism that arises from them where they say this is about me. It's about my body. It's about what I need and my self-care and all of that, I think has the prospect because liberals don't know what it sounds like because they've been so this has been so ingrained in them that if you're not if you're not there already it's much more likely to be the sort of thing that makes you go "Eh," you know i don't i don't that that doesn't sound right to me not i'm not talking politically i'm not talking ideologically i'm talking gut root feelings and that i think I think liberals are much more likely to make that mistake going they're, forward.
3: They're also more secular as as a, as a group, right? I mean, so they're interrupting Catholic mass uh, at several churches over the weekend for Mother's Day mass, you know, abor- pro-abortion protesters interrupting a religious service. That also does not scan as brave as they think it should among people who see it. They also say things like, there's another juxtaposition here, because when they're talking about abortion policy it's often pitched as we need this because there are some extreme cases like rape pregnancy that that comes from rape incest or in in some rare medical cases where uh, you know a, a, the life of the mother is at risk because the child is either severely um, uh, deformed in in utero and is going to die in utero and that poses a risk to the mother's health right we hear this a lot of rape incest abortion mother's mother's life is at risk Americans agree that those exceptions, by and large, are okay. Like, There's not a lot of debate about that, but they have to pitch it in these kind of either hyper-personalized self-care tones or in this hyper-extreme example. The vast majority of abortions in this country are People making that choice for convenience or for personal need, like they decide they want to do it it 's a personal thing they want to do, okay, but they are not being i don 't think abortion rights activists are being honest when they start talking about the policy implications there because as you say, John, it sounds selfish when it 's pitched that way, and it certainly looks horrifying when they interrupt a religious observance to start screaming about abortion rights well
2: okay we, we run the risk of nut picking by selecting you know protest slogans anybody who protests are self selected nuts. If you hold up a sign, you're unrepresentative of the broader American public on any issue, no matter what. Um, so that's a concern. Uh, I do think Repub- there, as this, if this decision comes down as it's written or close to as it's written in this <clears throat> leaked draft, there will be a burst of irrational enthusiasm on the part of Republican-dominated dom- legislators, lettuce- legislatures who want to test the bounds of what this decision allows. Uh, and they will be held up in the press as example, examples of where Republicans want to take this country. Um, and it will be, and I think by and large, resented by more Americans than supported. Because by and large, if Americans see Roe as a byword for abortion being legal at all, um, we have evidence, in just about every poll that suggests Americans are uncomfortable with the idea of abortion being illegal under any circumstances, Uh, with or without exceptions. And a lot of legislatures, Republican-dominated legislatures, will probably try to pass exemption-free abortion bans. Um, That said, there are a lot of Democratic candidates who are already doing what I expected Republicans would do, is just put their foot in their mouths. Um, Texas gubernatorial nominee Beto O'Rourke and uh, Tim Ryan, who faces J.D. Vance in Ohio for U.S. Senate, both of whom said, look, we got pressed. Any exemptions whatsoever? And both said, you know, we got to leave it up to the woman. It's just it's up to the woman. This is a woman's decision. Some kind of a radically libertarian message, and that doesn't fit well in the mouths of Democrats. These are not radical libertarians on this issue or any other issue, and they're attempting to paint themselves as being maximum uh, advocates for maximum liberty in this particular venue, uh, which a is not is not where they are principled or in principles or, philo- or political philosophy and B it doesn't jibe with what either Americans believe and certainly not the voters of their respective states um so that's how the, that backfires on Democrats is that in catering to the national progressive wing of their party they they find themselves wildly on the wrong end of their own
1: electorates okay. also, you, think- to John to John's point about the the ugly sloganeering that that comes out of the left um I'm not entirely sure it's just nut picking because to go back to the, to to the point whereby um, conservatives sort of have this Talmudic analysis under their belt of, of law and the court um, that is their strength. But if it's that on the right versus um, essentially activism on the left, that's sort of what they have. Right. That's it. That's an advantage for the left in that it can make for a better elevator pitch uh, than sort of, you know, detailed, somewhat inscrutable uh, legal analysis. But if all you have is activism, the only place you have to move to the only place you can go to ratchet it up is extreme emotionalism. So it's not so much nutpicking. I think it's sort of inevitable that the activism turns uglier, turns more radical, because that is the only thing you can do once that is your your mode of communication.
3: And they do feel justified in making the violent, using violent rhetoric, Always pointing back to the the occasions where uh, you know abortion clinics were bombed, doctors were targeted. These things happen. I mean, there has been violence initiated against uh, abortion providers and abortion clinics by anti-abortion activists in this country over the past fifty years. So it's not that there isn't some. That's the rationale. That's the justification you'll hear. At the same time, though, if these people want to talk about norms, they better stop talking about norms because if Sonia Sotomayor had right wing activists outside of her home after a, you know trying to pressure her to make a certain decision, you better believe it would be the front page of every newspaper for weeks.
0: Okay, but you know, norms, uh, norms are what people think they are. And I think Abe gets to a very important thing, which is that we, we forget sometimes, those of us uh, who, who aren't liberals and leftists, how central the um, mythos of protest is to the contemporary liberal leftist mind protest is everything protest is responsible for all positive change. According to them, civil rights protests in the sixties, feminist protests in the seventies, gay act up AIDS protests in the eighties protests, protests, protests. Everybody has this kind of sixties envy for the student, student movements and the, you know, the demonstrations to stop the war and all of that. And so every time something becomes the a, a possibility that there will be kind of mass protests. Um, the romanticism just goes absolutely haywire. The Women's March, obviously Black Lives Matter, uh, the march on Charlotte's, you know, whatever, the counter marches. all this. Not that there aren't conservative versions of this, but they're much more muted because the history that that people have been taught is that the glories of the American experiment all involve people protesting the government and forcing the government to change, not working through legislatures, not changing the laws, not building a political movement. It's a lot of mass action, and it is very, very much the the substance of the education of the modern American liberal leftist is this is how change happens. And you kind of look for it, you hunger for the moment when you can be part of one of these mass movements, right? That is the that is central to every desire so in in that sense like uh the fact that the fact that th- th- these decisions say okay you got to work through the system as it stands now you know you don't want legislatures to pass pro-life laws get yourself elected to the legislature go be, be persuasive if they pass them Go run against the people who did it. You get into the state house in Lansing or wherever and you, you reverse it. That's how it works. That's how it's like this uh, peculiarity where you'll notice that there's all these people saying, ah, Gorsuch, uh, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh and Barrett lied to the, to the confirmation committees because they said that Roe was settled law or was precedent and that's a lie you see because they always intended to overturn it well there is no such thing as settled law in a in a in a republic all laws are conditional they, they, are, they are they are are. yeah
3: well, but sorry but by that standard sotomayor also lied during her confirmation about gun rights because she said the same thing about you know other right. gun rights decisions so and then went on to
0: overturn them but there's no such thing as law that isn't that That doesn't exist with the possibility of it being overturned, amended, or changed. that's because we represent ourselves at every given moment unless somebody moves on it an extant law and tries to change it or overturn it 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 remains law. but there is no such thing as settled law. I mean, except maybe for the ten commandments there are there is no settled law or con or the or the rights that are in the constitution but those are not laws those are rights the the constitution is not law it is it 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 enumerates rights and 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 uh you know and and extends rights right so we're in this weird position where the only way you're supposed to change anything is through the force of mass action i don't really know where this is going to go but it means that there is no check against the Leftist idea that what you want to do when something doesn't go, you go your way is mobilize people to shut down highways or go protest out somebody's house outside somebody's house or something like that. And the problem for these people, in my estimation, is and this is sort of Noah's point about how protesters are nuts in some ways, is that most people don't like this. It inconveniences them. You shut down a highway. The people who are on the highway are trapped there for two hours. You think that's going to make them happier to support your cause? You know, you, 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 you make sort of anarchy in the streets. You think that's actually going to increase support for defunding the police? There is a, there is a illogic in the minds of people who have been, who have been, um, seduced by the romanticism of this
1: idea of protest as being the vehicle for change. And it also takes the, the cause to a maximalist place every time. So instead of saying, all right, we need police reform, it turns it turns into defund the police. And then everyone has to start parsing that and say, well, that doesn't really mean defund because and then it turns into a mess. Instead of saying, let's look at immigration enforcement enforcement, it's abolish ICE, you know, um, so they only have they can only go maximalist. Right. So, you know,
0: if you say to somebody, should, you know, you don't like, you don't like what a Supreme Court justice says, should you go outside their house and scream and terrify their children? People will go, no, you should, yeah, don't do that. Right. But then if you say, nah, don't do that. If you're Jen and you say, nah, don't do that. The Washington correspondent of New York Magazine is going to say, this is why no one wants to vote for your party. I mean, that's the interesting dynamic. Now, maybe this is, twitter social media craziness because there's all this instant reaction but i don't know this is just where the rubber meets the road for me like the, the that that um liberals always want to suspend regular order right it's like they always want to have class outside they always want to they always want to you know and that is not the way the world is supposed to work like everybody else wants to just like Know what the rules are. Follow the rules. You know, if the rules change, they'll follow those rules, too. They're they're just trying to live an ordinary life. And to the extent that their lives are interrupted and intruded upon by these demands for radical change, that's why we see this counter-revolution that Abe, you know, wrote about. Uh, you know, I don't know. Was it three or four months ago? You know, the to the revolution is an elite revolution. The counter revolution is a populist revolution because it's people going. I didn't sign up for you changing how my children understand being white, or I didn't. I didn't sign up for any of this. Yeah, make, the cops maybe go too far, so you should do something about that. But like, I don't want San Francisco to look like the way it does now. I don't want Portland and Seattle to look that look that way. Um. And and this, I think, is the, and the, those people, the activist people, never see it coming, because they they really do live in a bubble. I mean, they really don't understand how ordinary people live or think, or, or, or they caricature it. They're like, well, they're just hypnotized by Fox News. This is sort of the opposite of that. This is just like, let, leave me alone. Like, just leave me alone. Don't pull me into your mishagas. You know, you want to, you want to protest, go ahead. Like you want your life to be spent like this. Go ahead. I don't involve me and my family and my children. And that's a very potent thing. And, and they think, I think that they're, they're pulling it off because they're speaking on behalf of all women, but, you know, not all women are for abortion on demand. I mean, probably, I don't know, 30, 35% of it are probably pro-life, like, like, like everybody else. And then most other people want some form of restriction on it. That's actually where the public is and where women are. Cause the, there's no real distinction here, but you know, it's like, anyway, in, in that sense. Um, so now we've talked about this the, the whole time. Do we have anything else we wanted to bring up? You know, there's a war going on and everything. Uh, I I, I just want to say that I was kind of shocked at the vulgarity of Jill Biden saying that she wanted to be in Ukraine on Mother's Day to send a message. Really? Mother's Day? (laughs) Mother's Day is an invented American holiday to sell flowers and greeting cards, and she wanted to be there on Mother's Day? Is that? I mean, maybe that's fine, because, you know, uh, Dan Patrick Moynihan's favorite quote, uh, about uh, america from american politicians was um uh, the head of uh, tammany hall in the 1950s uh, uh carmine defazio explaining why he was why he was uh, an anti-communist said in a hearing sometime i'm a i'm an anti-communist because there is no mother's day behind the iron curtain <laughs> so uh apparently that is also jill jill biden joins with uh with carmine defazio in this um in this interpretation of world politics. Um I just thought it was a little low. Like I think it's I think it's great and fine that she went there to show solidarity and all that but I don't
2: know.
3: I just want to know if she insisted that all the the Ukrainian moms call her doctor by No, That's really all I care about. No.
2: I mean speaking of life behind the iron curtain if you actually want to talk about the the new the new Russia and the and the war. Um May 9th, which is Victory Day in Moscow, celebrating the victory over uh, Nazism by Soviet communism which is their narrative they did it they did it themselves um, seems to have come and gone without any of the apocalyptic uh, escalatory behaviors that we expected from Russia which is not to say they're not engaging in crimes against humanity in Ukraine taking out you know uh, civilian shelters certainly not the first time this has happened but uh, big waves of conventional bombing, a, um, a conscription drive declaring this a war and not a special operation, whatever they say. Um, none of that seems to have come to pass. Day's not over yet, but pretty much is in Europe. And um, I don't know. I mean, they there's always this, this we've been living on this precipice here waiting for this next shoe to drop for Russia to finally get its act together and really make a, a really concerted effort to intimidate the west away from its material support for ukraine and it just isn't coming
0: you know i think it's interesting because uh it's very clear that putin got in over his head right i mean i don't think there's you can't even any there's no one who could question he didn't expect to be where he is now he didn't expect the solidity of the of the rivalry he didn't expect the severity of the sanctions he didn't expect the the bravery of the ukrainians or their you know, iron nationalism or anything like he didn't, he's in over his head. And, you know, when people are in over their head, they get paralyzed. I mean, it's when we all say, why isn't he, why isn't he, you know, letting the chemical weapons go? Why isn't he doing blah, blah, blah? Why isn't he cyber attacking us? Because we're according to the New York times doing all this intelligence stuff that is harming his country. And it's because, when you're in over your head you are genuinely in over your head like you don't know what to do and and every option that you come up with frightens you and i mean i think that is the that that is the lesson of what's going on here it's not that he's not dangerous but the idea that people act there's all this like when you corner an animal he acts out of fear but we're not animals. I mean, okay, we're animals, but we're not. That's actually not the way human beings and political people and all of that function. Like, they're always looking for the easy answer or the easy way or a route where they don't like the choices that they're presented with, so they want a third choice and they don't really get one, but they they still hold out hope for one. And, you know, again, like, I think we we have all been sitting here waiting for the you know moment when he unleashes chemical weapons, or he tries an electromagnetic pulse, or he does whatever, whatever, whatever you want to call it, whatever you want to call it, and maybe I mean, that's he's not what just, anybody
2: anticipated. Just to be on, just to you know, to make the record plain, what they anticipated potentially as an escalatory uh, uh, move by Moscow would be uh, to declare mass mobilization, um, to to forcibly conscript uh, Russians to serve in the front although they already have plenty of conscripts there, or a, a, a really significant conventional aerial assault. on No, somebody. but there was
0: talk about cyber attacks on us as retaliation. Yeah, or... I guess that's
2: unconventional. But no, I, I didn't yeah. hear anybody.
0: No, I, the elect- I, I was being...
2: using un- unconventional weapons.
0: No, but a cyber attack is kind of unconventional, whatever. I mean, they we keep waiting for him to unleash the, ha- you know, unleash the dogs of war against us and against Europe. And it's now two and a half months and he's not doing it. Now he could still do it, but I think you then have to go back and try to see why he isn't doing it. And I think he's, I think he genuinely has lost. I mean, I'm not, I, you know, I'm not a psychoanalyst and I'm not a Putin expert, but he doesn't know what to do. And when you don't know what to do, doing the most, extreme thing you can do is a terrifying option doing nothing is a terrifying option but doing but you know like already everything that you you're trying is like going is like is like crumbling to dust in your hands so when you really genuinely can't game something out and you're a control freak and you want to control things if you can't game out what it would mean to you know raise escalate things to the next level then you're kind of paralyzed i think that's this that's the may 9th story we keep imagining that he's more determined and deliberate and you know like you, you know whatever you know like bond villain uh you know with a master plan and i i don't think that's what that's what the record is showing here i don't know what the i don't think that means that anybody's out of the woods or that terrible things can't happen. It's just that, that thing that we've been waiting for, which is like, Oh man, we really, Oh boy. You know, we, we, we've now miscalculated again. He's, he's a lot better at this than we thought at some point, Occam's razor say, you have, it says you have to look at this and say, he's really not good at this. He was good at, you know, Staging little wars and disinformation, you know, using disinformation and bluffing his own people and all of that. But this mainstream effort to subsume another country with actual conventional means, um, it turns out is, you know, is beyond his capacities. Unless he learns well, so much,
1: so much of what we gave him credit for being good at was really consistent of things that we sort of did for him. Um, you know, we gave Russia syria you know we decided to freak out and determined that they had brilliantly uh tampered with our elections you know we did all the work
0: yeah and and then of course we didn't respond to the previous efforts to take by chunks out out of ukraine that would have led him to think twice about you know going for the whole loaf right i mean we didn't we basically stood by and let it happen didn't complain very much and and then, you know, we showed our weakness in Afghanistan, and then he went for it. And, you know, I mean, one of the things about a gambler is, so he took a gamble. The gamble was obviously, it was a bad bet. And it, you only really knew that when he when he, when the bet was taken. But, you know, sometimes you don't double down because you're already $2 million in debt. Like doubling down means you'll then be in four, $4 million in debt. Like you try, you, 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 you can try to go another way to bet yourself out of your hole. I don't know. Anyway, uh, it's enough metaphors for the day. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. For Abe, Christina, know I'm John Podhoretz. Keep the candle burning.